Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It is a good morning here in Salt Lake. It is a great morning in Phoenix. Possibly the easiest morning of sports talk radio those guys have done in Phoenix in a long, long, long time. The Suns are going to the NBA Finals for the first time in 28 years. And I know since then, the Diamondbacks have won a World Series. and The Cardinals have gone to a Super Bowl. But the Suns are the original team in the Valley of the Sun. And after a brutal decade, a brutal decade, they're back, baby. They're back in the NBA Finals. I guess it just goes to reinforce what we've been saying the whole 19 years we've been doing the show. Pro sports, you never know what's three years away. You don't know. There's, it, things change so fast. In the case of the Phoenix Suns, they changed in one year. They weren't even a playoff team a year ago. They, they got through the whole skipping steps thing. They brought in a veteran in Chris Paul, who's already been there and done that and skipped steps. And, and they got some, you know, and Jay Crowder's been there also. Jay Crowder. So they got some playoff experience. They brought in a couple veterans. And Chris Paul, man, did he pay off in game six 41 points and eight assists. And he hit some big shots, and the Clippers gifted him some open threes. In some ways, it's just like the last game six the Clippers played, except they were in the role of the Jazz, not in the role of the Clippers. Getting it handed to them instead of handing it to somebody else. A little different. I mean, obviously the Jazz had a 25-point lead in that game. And the Suns led this game from the start. They looked like they were going to lead by seven after one, and Cousins banked in a three off the glass. (laughs) against insane pressure. He had two guys right in his face and just lofted it up over him and in. Uh, so it was a four-point game after one, and it was nine at the half, and then it was still seven late in the third quarter. And although the Suns had led the whole way, and it did feel like they were in control, you know, seven points, that can get away from you pretty quick in the NBA with all these three-point shots. But Chris Paul went off. The run went the other way. Paul hit a three. Paul went to the layup and got a bucket. Um, Also flopped and drew a technical foul on DeMarcus Cousins that I thought was really soft. Cousins did raise his elbow a little bit. Um, Chris Paul went down like he was shot. And then he's laying among his guys and he's like laughing. And of course... It's the Western Finals, so so ESPN has cameras everywhere, including one in the roof straight above Chris Paul, and they take the shot straight down at him, and he's laying on the ground smiling. Oh, that, that was a brutal flop. Uh, but he got a technical on Cousins, and Cousins was shaking his head. But then, as they just continued to pull away, because that 8-0 run by Paul, uh, he went and hit another three also. Pushed the lead to 15. It was 14 at the end of the quarter. They ran it up over 20. There's a timeout, and Paul crosses paths with Patrick Beverly and just looks at him. I thought that he said something to him. You know, watching live, they were going into a replay, and they crossed paths, and I thought, did Chris Paul just say something to him? But the shot was from behind Paul, so you couldn't really tell. And they're in the, they're in the replay, and then somebody's like, oh, Paul and Beverly are getting into it, one of the announcers called it. And they came out to him, and they showed a replay pretty quick, and it was still from behind Chris Paul, and it still looked like he said something. But they showed the, the other angle coming back from break, and he didn't say anything. He just looked at him, man. It was like some kind of Jedi mind trick or something, and Beverly just snapped. I mean, the guy plays on the edge anyway. He's small. He's undersized. He doesn't shoot very well. If he doesn't play with an edge, he's not even in the NBA. So sometimes you have to take the good with the bad, and he does provide some good, and he gives the team an edge, and he defends like crazy. But, man, he snapped. He got ejected, and the, the fourth quarter was just a coronation. I mean, aside from that, there was, it was just it was the Suns rolling. And they win in six, and they go to the NBA Finals, and they wait now for Milwaukee and Atlanta. Chris Paul, 36 years old, he finally gets there. You know, Donovan Mitchell has been... 
so frustrated after the last two playoff eliminations. And 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 they haven't just been eliminations, right? The Jazz blew a 3-1 lead against Denver in the bubble, and then they blew a 2-0 lead against the Clippers uh, in this last series here. So I get it's been more than that. But you just think, man, how many playoff frustrations has Chris Paul had along the way? And how many times has he changed teams? I mean, can you even name all the teams? New Orleans, to the Lakers, briefly. Never played for him. Trade got rejected. Then to the Clippers. And then the Clippers break up the gang, and they send him to Houston. Then Houston sends him to Oklahoma City, and Oklahoma City sends him, sends him to Phoenix. I mean, at some, Paul shouldn't, some point, shouldn't Chris Paul have gone to the East and had an easier path? He did it the hard way. He was in the West for five different teams. Six if you count the Lakers, but he never played for them, so we won't. But now there he is. He is in the NBA Finals. He's going to get a shot. He's going to get the Bucks, or he's going to get the Hawks. And he's got a chance here to get a final. <clears throat> and that is, um, you know, that is quite the accomplishment. We talk about LeBron and him cheating father time. But, man, at least LeBron's a big dude, right? And the big guys always last a little longer because, well, they're big guys. Uh, but the, the six-footers, man, it is really hard. And I guess some guys have done it, obviously. Stockton did it. Um, but here he is. He's, he's poised at the mountaintop and looking pretty happy at the end of that game. And now he gets Milwaukee or Atlanta. And the good news for the Buck fans is that Giannis Antetokounmpo, they're saying his knee is structurally sound, so he didn't tear his ACL. You tear your ACL now, you're not only out for the playoffs – you're out for all the next season. I mean, you're done. It's a year off. I mean, it's basically what Clay Thompson's just gone through here. So you're you're and and it's what Jamal Murray's Jamal Murray may be back for the very end of next year, but he's going to miss a lot of it. Um, but they say Anthony Campos' knee is structurally sound. Now they also say he's doubtful, and there are stories out there that he's not going to play in the playoffs, no matter how much longer they're in the playoffs. Maybe he's out two to three weeks. If if the knee is structurally sound, I don't I don't understand why he'd be out two to three weeks. I'm, I'm not clear on that. But there's a lot of info we don't have, and they're obviously holding some stuff back. Um, I mean, I get it if he has some swelling and he's out while the swelling goes down, and that could be several days or even a week. Um, this series now, with the West done, uh, they're going to play tonight. Uh, they will play again Saturday. If there's a seventh game, it's on Monday, at which point I guess the NBA Finals wouldn't start until next Thursday. So, you know, it could be a week here before the finals start. I don't know the exact dates on the finals, but I, I, Thursday makes sense to me is when it would start. All right, there you go, DJ and PK. That's the uh, that's the basketball uh, coming up. We get some football for you next. Uh, Zach Wilson with the Jets. We got a guy who works for the Post and he works for WFAN. And he covers the Jets and how is Zach settling in? And is the team good enough around him? And do the coaches have enough experience? And we'll get to all of that next. Stay with us. The playoffs may be over for the Utah Jazz, but the season never ends on the Zone Sports Network. From the NBA draft to free agency and on to the summer league, the Zone will be with the Jazz every step of the way as the Jazz front office builds for the future. Your exclusive home of Utah Jazz basketball is right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. It's time to talk Jets football with Brian Costello, reporter for the New York Post and WFAN. Brian, good morning. Morning, guys. How are you? Did you ever think you'd be on the radio in Utah? (laughs) 
I've actually been on the radio in Utah quite a bit over the last... Uh, <laughs> I, I bet you have. <laughs> Brian Costello joining us right now on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah is in an extreme drought currently. That's why Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property. Concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation? Find out more at smartrain.net. All right, so uh, I guess first impressions, and do you really put any put anything in anything you've seen so far because it's way early. Yeah, yeah. No, you take everything with a grain of salt in the spring. They're in shorts. There's no tackling. Um, you know, so you, you kind of just have to view it through that lens. But I thought Zach had a good spring. Uh, he didn't look confused. You know, that's something that can happen even in the spring. He looked like he knew where he had to go with the ball. Uh, and he was, uh, he made some wow throws you know, what you expect from a guy taking number two overall. Um, but he looked like he belonged, and he, he didn't look overwhelmed at, at, at any times, and there was no practices where he had four interceptions or anything like that. He, he had a couple couple interceptions here and there, but a lot of times it was tip balls and things like that. There, there weren't many throws that made you go, uh, that was a terrible throw. So, um, you know, overall I thought he was pretty impressive this spring. So it looks like they're hitching their wagon to him. It's a new coaching staff and all that, so there's some level of optimism. Do you believe that they are going to just stick with him through thick and thin, knowing that there's probably going to be some, well, I don't know if it's thin or thick, whichever is the bad of the two, going forward? (laughs) He's going to have some growing pains. Does he have to look over his shoulder? Oh, he doesn't look over his shoulder. There's no one there. (laughs) So, I mean, the Jets are really taking a huge risk in their backup quarterback situation, in my opinion, because they don't have a quarterback on the roster right now who's ever taken a snap in an NFL game. Um, so that's not something that's recommended. Uh, and, you know, the, the, I haven't seen a quarterback go through 16 games here since 2015, probably was the last time, and that was after Geno Smith got punched and broke his jaw in training camp and Ryan Fitzpatrick being the starter. But there was almost always this, you know, a little injury here and there where guys admit with a starting quarterback this time, and right now, the Jets have James Morgan, who was a fourth-round draft choice last year and didn't play at all last season, and Mike White, who's uh, been kicked around for a little while but never played in the game, as Zach's backups. And so he has. There's no threat to Zach right now. He's he's all. He, there's there's no one. He doesn't need to look over his shoulder. There's no one there right now. So, what is the number one challenge for Zach Wilson in your mind? I think it's the same as, you know, every rookie quarterback is just adjusting to NFL defenses. You know, the defenses are going to be so much different than what he saw at BYU. And, I mean, even if he had, even if he had played an SEC schedule, the defenses are different. And now you're talking about, you know, the, the teams that he played at BYU last year were not, you know, even, even that caliber. So it's going to be defensive coordinators are going to mess with him. Um, and, you know, week two, the Jets play the Patriots. And Bill Belichick loves to face rookie quarterbacks, and he's going to throw things at Zach that he's never seen before, and he's going to have to adjust and adapt. And and you know the coaches are going to have to help him through that, really. But I think that that's a big thing. And you know the Jets are they're not ready to win right now. They're better than they were last year, but they were a two win team last year. So he's better four wins this year, five wins. You know, like so he's going to have to adjust to that and adjust to. Uh, things things do not go well in the NFL unless you're Patrick Mahomes. Really, there's a lot of adversity, and he's going to have to. We have to see how he handles that. 
So, Brian, I was born in Exus County, grew up in Morris County, so I understand the people. I am one of them. I am not a nice guy like Jets fans aren't either. And we hear a lot about that in the New York media, and I realize they play in Jersey and all that stuff. Yep. Uh, it seems like that Zach has, from our perspective out here, the temperament to handle all that. What have you seen as far as that goes? Yeah, I think he's well equipped for it. Um, you know, the people here sometimes make uh, uh, they made a thing of, oh, he, he's from Utah or he played at BYU. But to me, the BYU quarterback is that's a big position. Yeah. You know, that that is you're you're under the under the microscope if you're the BYU quarterback. Um, so I don't see much of a difference for him uh, coming here in that regard in football terms. What's different in New York than anywhere else is off the field. All right, if Zach decides to go out after a game and have dinner with his teammates and that kind of thing and drinks in New York, it's going to be in the paper the next day. That's how, it, you know, we have page six in the New York Post. <laughs> That's where all the gossip is. If if Zach, you know, has a new girlfriend and it's going to be in the paper. If Zach's mom is saying stuff on Instagram, it's going to be on our <laughs> website. Like, there's... That's kind of different than what he's probably used to at BYU or if he had been drafted by Jacksonville or drafted by, uh, you know, a team not in his market. Um, that's where it's different. Football-wise, I, I don't think it's different than anywhere else. You know, these guys are always under the microscope, and it's the same way here as it was in Pro Bowl form. Well, if you went out for drinks here, it would be in the paper, too. But That's the, true. That's the true. Instagram, <laughs> that got a laugh out of PK, so that was good. good well, yeah, good I mean, we there. didn't do anything with his mother, and now I understand she's, she blew up right, right off the bat with some stuff. that, I mean, she's a flamboyant gal and all that stuff, and, you know, she loves to put herself out there. But yeah. we, we just kind of well, roll with it. It doesn't really make news the way it already has there. Yeah, well, and I'll, I'll tell you, like, you know, Mark Sanchez was the quarterback, right? The, the, our paper, we, we were at, um, we actually sent the reporter, we, this is when Tebow was on the team. We got a tip that Tebow was living at a golf course in New Jersey. And we sent a reporter and a photographer to try to track Tebow down, right? They didn't find Tebow. He wasn't there. But what they did see was Mark Sanchez eating uh, on his porch. He lived on the golf course with Ava Longoria. So they took pictures of it. Well, of course. The paper the next day. <laughs> <laughs> and so, that, so that's for me. I have to go to Mark. Well, you know, sorry, Mark. You know, like you have to go. That's, I've had to deal with that with Mark and and with Sam Darnold was in, was in the paper for going out with his teammates and stuff. So that part of it is different here. Um, but you know, if he throws four interceptions here, he's going to get the same kind of scrutiny that he would get if he threw four interceptions in Kansas City or Green Bay. It's, it's the same thing football wise. Would he make news if he goes down the shore? <laughs> he might. He, yeah, he might. He might get some pictures. I mean, the Islanders. He went to the Islanders game. That was yeah. uh, the, with his teammates. So um, you know, he's, he's going to be a big celebrity here. So quarterbacks are celebrities, but it's still a team game. Has he got good enough teammates around him? Is the line? Well, let's start with the line. Is the line yeah. going to protect him? Because when you tell me I haven't seen a quarterback go 16 games since Fitzpatrick uh-huh. in 2015, the first thing, first thing I think is that O line's getting the quarterbacks beat up. Yeah, and they have. Uh, this O line has been bad for a long time. Now I'll say Joe Douglas, the GM, who. You know, he's this. He came in two years ago after the draft, so he's had. This was his second full draft this year. He's put more focus on the offensive line than his predecessors have for a while. So he drafted Mackay Beckton last year in the first round, who's you know a giant 
360 left tackle. He drafted Elijah Vera Tucker in the first round this year after Zach uh, from USC. So he's, he just signed Morgan Moses, the former Washington right tackle. So he's making an effort. So I think they'll be better. I, I don't think they're a good offensive line yet, but I don't expect them to get that killed this year. I think I think they have some pieces. The key with them is just staying healthy. Their offensive line has not stayed healthy. Makai Becton, is a, that's a big question with him. He didn't. He missed two full games last year, parts of four other games. He said he missed the spring this year with a foot injury, which when you're 360 pounds, you know, foot injury is not good. So um, that's a concern for the Jets. But I think their offensive line is trending in the right direction. And, and I think Zach is going to benefit from the scars that the organization has from Sam Darnold. Uh, you know, Sam was constantly under siege here. Sam didn't really have good receivers to throw to here. The organization recognizes that it did not do what it needed to do for Sam Darnold, and I think Zach Wilson is going to benefit from that. How much of a growing pain experience does the offensive coordinator, Mike LaFleur, LaFleur need? Because he's a youngster himself. He's like 33, 34 yeah. years old. And I know he's been passing game coordinator, but yeah. I believe this would be his first running the show at the NFL level. Yeah, it will be. So, yeah, there's going to be an adjustment there. I mean, it's interesting with the coaching staff. They've got first-time head coach, first-time coordinators in both spots, yeah. offense and defense. So there's going to be growing pains there. Uh, you know, they swear by this offense, and obviously this offense is going everywhere right now. A lot of teams are running it, the um, Shanahan offense. So they feel like it's you – know, I think Salah called it the, the best offense in the world. You know, to run this scheme. So uh, I think they're going to rely heavily on, on what he's learned from Kyle Shanahan. Uh, he worked for Shanahan in Atlanta and in San Francisco. But yeah, I mean, there's no doubt it's going to take him a little while. There's going to be some hiccups along the way, I'm sure, for this coaching staff. New York Post and WFAN Jets reporter Brian Costello join us here to talk about Zach Wilson and the Jets. So they're coming off a two-win season, but they're also only two years removed from a seven-win season. What constitutes an acceptable season and progress? Yeah, I don't know if there's a number like record-wise. I think it's just you need to see them trend in the right direction. I think if Zach shows a lot of promise. They'll feel good about that. They have a lot of younger players. They see some development there. They'll feel good. Um, you know, they just they looked inept last season. Um, obviously, you win two games. So they, they lost their first 13 games. They were There was games they just were not even in. Um, so I think just being more competitive, playing closer games will be a step in the right direction. And, I, you know, I, I don't think – Anyone has delusions around the Jets of them being a playoff team this year, but I think if, if they can get five, six wins, uh, that's a, I think that's a huge step for them after two wins last year. Also, too, it seemed like for years the division was the big dog and then the little dogs, basically. Yeah. And obviously the Patriots have taken a little bit of a hit. We'll see to what extent. I'm not sure last year was a complete and total fair evaluation. But you look at a couple other teams, notably the Bills in the division, it seems like you know, certainly the Bills are on the come, and I can argue that the Dolphins are getting better. So I can make a, I can make a statement and have some validity that the division is getting better compared to what it used to be, which would increase the difficulty for the Jets of being successful since they have to play these teams twice each. 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it's more difficult because obviously when it was the Patriots, you, you had no chance. There was no chance of winning the division. You know, every year. I'm just talking about winning division. games, though, not winning, winning the division. Games. Yeah, I mean, there's been, yeah, I, I mean, the Bills, I think the Bills right now are obviously the, the best team. I'm not sold on the Dolphins completely. I need to see more from Tua. So okay. I, I don't, you know, I don't necessarily look at that and go, oh, that's two losses for sure. I think the Bills right now, it would be a huge upset if the Jets won a game from them. And the Patriots, I don't know what to make of the Patriots. Like you said, last year was kind of a weird year for them, um, and they obviously spent a ton of money in free agency this year. So I'm curious to see what they look like. You know, it would still be an upset, I guess, if the Jets won a game from them, but I feel like they're they're closer there. Uh, The division, it's it's more interesting than it's been in a long time. Uh, I'll say that. Because I don't know, Buffalo... They look good on paper, but they're going from being, you know, the scrappy underdogs now to being the hunted. And I'm sure I'm curious to see how they respond to that. And, uh, and they've had very good luck with injuries the last few years. Uh, at some point, they're going to have a year where the injuries get them. Um, so it, it's a, I think the division is more open than it's been. Um, but, you know, the Jets are clearly fourth and chasing those other three teams right now. So then there's also how much good pub is the other team getting, and that's the Giants. If they are a mess, does that divert the spotlight a little bit? I mean, you have to be good and you have to win in the long run. It's all about you. But in the short run, hey, don't look at this. Look at that wreck over there. So how good are the Giants going to be? They have a a huge question at quarterback with Daniel Jones. You know, he's entering his third year. He's sort of in the Sam Darnold seat that was last year uh what he can do in the third year so i think the giants are better they they got kenny galladay i thought was a good signing um they have saquon barkley coming back off at acl if he can be 100 percent, they'll be a lot better obviously with him so yeah there's going to be a lot more focus on the giants than the jets in terms of scrutiny this year i think the jets have a nice little honeymoon for this season because uh, Salah is very popular, a new coach. Uh, you know, Zach being a rookie quarterback is going to get a lot of slack this year. So the Giants are probably going to be a lot more under fire than the Jets this year unless they really have a, you know, horrible, horrible, horrible season. Um, but if, if, they, if they can win some games, I don't think there's going to be a lot of attention paid to the Jets' uh, problems this year. Can you save me a table at Star Tavern this weekend? Uh, I I am talking to you from West Orange. I know you are, New Jersey. So yep, yep. So there you go. Yep, I'm, I am. Uh, yeah, Star Tavern is the best uh, the best bar pizza you'll find. <laughs> Eleven Lafayette Street. That's where my mother grew up in West Orange. Okay, there you go. <laughs> Small world. Yep, all the way out here, huh? Believe me, I am a fish out of water. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, we appreciate the time. Thanks for hopping on with us, and uh, we'll probably bother you again later this season. <laughs> Anytime, guys. Thanks All for right. having me. There's Brian Costello from the New York Post and WFAN talking Zach Wilson and Jets football. I'm really intrigued to see how many Jets games <laughs> we get to see this year. You know We get the stuff all the time about, uh, you know, Channel 2 always shows this. The NFL is this big jigsaw puzzle. They're trying on all the platforms, on all the networks, trying to get the best teams, the most interesting teams. And last year, we got fed a steady diet of Chiefs, Raiders, Broncos, Bucks, Packers. 
And it was just a four, or, you know, 13, 12, 11 appearances from each of these teams. Now there'll be an extra game this year, so there'll be more appearances. But you basically, if you have cable, because uh, you got to, I was factoring in the Monday Night Football appearances, but the Sunday doubleheaders, the CBS, the Fox, the NBC, and the Thursday night, it was amazing the steady diet. And the teams they buried are exactly the teams you would expect them to bury. The teams that were so hard to see here. You know, it's uh, it's amazing how well they uh, they play that out. The NFL, they get it. But this year, I'll bet we see a bunch of Jets games here unless they they trend to two and 14. And then the second half of the season, they'll vaporize. But if Zach's playing, I'll bet he's on here a lot. All right. When we come back. The Ringer. NBA writer for The Ringer joining us, Dan Devine, his take on the Jazz. How did it all fall apart and where did the Jazz stack up for next season? How in the mix are they? What do they need to add? We'll get to that next. Stay with us. The playoffs may be over for the Utah Jazz, but the season never ends on the Zone Sports Network. From the NBA draft to free agency and on to the summer league, the Zone will be with the Jazz every step of the way as the Jazz front office builds for the future. Your exclusive home of Utah Jazz basketball is right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. And Dan Devine joins us now, NBA writer for The Ringer. He's on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret Utah's in an extreme drought currently. That's why Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Dan, good morning. Good morning. How are we doing today, guys? We're doing well. There are still jazz fans, nursing wounds, healing up. From your perspective... What went wrong? What needs to be fixed? Uh, I think you could start with Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley getting hurt. <laughs> I mean, at the risk of, of being a very simple man. I am a simple man, though, so you've got to go with what fits. Um, the Jazz were a team that was built all year long on their capacity to break down opponents off the dribble, get the, you know, get the machine sort of working, swing, swing, kick the ball around, and uh, create advantageous shot situations, whether it was three-pointers or driving closeouts to get good looks um, or breaking them down in the pick-and-roll to get Rudy Gobert uh, high handoffs at the rim. And then when you are without one of your top two ball handlers for the bulk of the postseason, and then when he comes back, he is uh, you know, not, certainly not the all-star caliber player that we had seen from Mike Conley earlier in the season. And then when Donovan Mitchell picks up the knock that he picked up that, that was harming him in terms of his ability to push off and explode and, and you know, win one-on-one matchups, which is sort of the, the elemental building block of a lot of that offense, um, things start to stagnate and slow down. And then when, when that happens, when the Jazz are not – outscoring everybody but the you know one of the most high octane offenses the league has seen in recent years 
you start to see the uh, the seams a bit in the defensive structure as on a team that has been tilted more towards offense the last couple of seasons. Um, you know, there's Rudy Gobert covers up a lot of sins. Everybody knows that. Uh, and the issue that you wind up with is there's not a whole, not quite as many one-on-one stoppers uh, to be able to go out and just lock somebody up. You know, Royce O'Neal has, has you know turned into a really nice player, a great player in Utah, but um, pretty much everybody else was either at a size disadvantage or a physicality disadvantage or a quickness disadvantage in their one-on-one matchups when Utah, Los Angeles went small. And so if the Clippers are dragging Rudy out of the, out of the paint, you need everybody else to be able to win one-on-one defensively and stay in front of their man. And they couldn't do that. And so I don't know that you look at all of that and say this is indicative of you know, fatal flaws and, you know, uh, you know, like a poisoned tree that needs to be uprooted or anything like that. I think it's just, you know, the, the theory of who the Jazz were has changed over the past couple of years. It went from we're going to win with defense to, okay, well, that imposes a ceiling on us when we get to the playoffs. We have to be able to generate better offensive possessions. So they did that. They went out and they changed the structure of the team, bringing in Conley, bringing in Bogdanovich, uh, so, you know, putting so much more of a creative load on Donovan, uh, bringing in Jordan Clarkson, and then pick up a couple of injuries, the offense doesn't look quite the way it normally does, and then that sort of showcases what's up with the defense. So, I mean, the, 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 all of that is to say the, the, the short answer is you need two-way wings who can create, shoot, and also defend. And the bad news about that is every single team in the NBA is looking for the best versions of those guys, and they're pretty hard to find. One of the things that bothered me is that they got contributions from guys in the regular season that they didn't get to the level or certainly didn't get above the level of what they had done in the regular season. And you look at some of these teams, obviously the Clippers, uh, Phoenix with a campaign, uh, and Lou Williams comes off the bench when Trey Young can't play. And these guys produced beyond what we've expected. And when I look at the Jazz bench, nobody produced even what I thought they were capable of, let alone beyond as far as that goes. And so they're having this struggle as they got a bunch of younger guys on the bench. Uh, do you develop them? Uh, but I got to win now. It, it, it's a dilemma there. So you're in charge. Uh, do you try to develop these guys on the bench or do you just move away from them and try to bring in better players that even if they don't get to play for a few games when they're called upon, they can come in there and do well? I mean, I think it's got to be a little of column A and a little of column B, right? I mean, to, to some degree, it's because you are the, – the, you know, the guys you mentioned who have uh, outperformed perhaps their, rep, uh, their reputation or you know, uh, wound up producing uh, over and above what, they, what you would have anticipated from them. You're talking about guys who can break people down off the dribble and create shots. And that's you – know, I think we see that uh, play up in the postseason just about every year. And – you know, the Jazz have one of those guys, and he was so good during the regular season that he won sixth man of the year. Um, but what makes Jordan Clarkson a sixth man as opposed to a superstar shooting guard is that he does that every other night as opposed to every night, right? And I think that's kind of the issue. Or, or, or you, you can't bank on him doing it for you know, 25 in an elimination game every night. You, sometimes it happens and he can carry your offense for a quarter. Sometimes it's, you know, three for nine or three for ten, and you're wondering when, you know, when the next shot's going to go down. Um, 
so to some degree, you know, you've, you've made your, your bed in terms of, of extending him. I think that was, it was a move that they had to make, you know, to, to resign him. They, it was a, he's a vital part of the team, and he performed great. He's performed great uh, essentially since he got there. Uh, did not have the postseason he wanted, but I think that's true, as you mentioned, sort of up and down the roster. I think the issue is, you know, you're, you're already locked in with uh, the Gobert extension, with the Donovan extension, with uh, Clarkson now on the board, on the on the books, and then probably in all likelihood they're going to. You know, you're a capped out team. You're over the cap. You're going to have to go use the bird rights to try to bring back Mike Conley because you can't just get nothing. You let him walk for nothing. You don't have the cap space to replace what he brings, uh, and he's been great. So you're operating as an over-the-cap team without much flexibility to bring in a whole lot of talent. So I think you know you can look for you know guys that you might be able to, to target with your mid-level exception or, or something like that. Uh, you know the sort of the smaller around the margins additions that you can sign in free agency. But you're going to have to see what you can you know develop with. A guy like you know Mieoni or you know the the other sort of recent draft picks like is you know are you going to be able to hit a home run again with Jarrell Brantley or something like that? Juwan Morgan are these guys, you know the kind of guys where like you can get some player you know the player development system that has churned out so many positive contributors in Utah can those guys kind of play up uh, with some more time, some more reps, and some more seasoning and uh, and then you know beyond that it's you know you have to try to like work the margins because you've made your big bets. You've bet on Donovan. You've bet on Rudy. You've, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm imagining you're going to be betting on Conley. Uh, you know, you, you've bet on Clarkson. You've made those decisions. So now it's, you know, there's, there's not a whole lot of money to play with. So it, it, it needs to be we do better with what we have. We, you know, chalk up some of this injury and some of it. We try to, you know, get in the lab and, dis- and dissect where we fell short in terms of defensive scheme or is there a way we can coach up some of the, some of the guys on that end. And then you, you, know, you put everything you can into getting those younger pieces on the fringes of the roster to be more playable when it matters most. So losing to a Clipper team that has got four guys who contributed at different times who are only getting paid $7 million. It is possible to get production out of not a lot of money. It's not easy. 100%. 100%. Nobody knew Terrence Mann's name last year. And now, you know, like that's that's the, I mean, it's about, but it's about the right guys, right? It's about finding the right kind of players. Mann plays up because he is a you know, big guard, small wing with length, athleticism, who can shoot and and who is a north-south attacker who can defend multiple positions. Again, not easy to find guys who can check all those boxes, but when it, you, they, they are out there. There are guys who can who fit those bills. It's about finding those kind of guys because and you want to find them now as opposed to having to pay the market rate for them because when, if Terrence Mann keeps doing this when he gets to free agency he's going to be in line for a gigantic raise you got to be on the early side of that for of that uh, growth curve rather than the later one. Well, they're early with him, but Batum, Jackson, and Cousins will all be free agents in the off season. They're not making any money either, and at different times they've all given him something. And, and I think so. Some of that is, but I mean, those are also, with the exception of Batum. And Batum was a somebody I wrote about early in the season. I thought he made a ton of sense. I think I had even talked to, talked about him a little bit last year, where it's like that's a guy who has been in sort of a depressed situation in Charlotte, um, where he's been injured a bit and also just hasn't really played in games of consequence for a while. But he fits the bill of a guy who, when he gets an opportunity, can check off a lot of boxes and and, and in a, a better context surrounded by better talent where he becomes like a floor raiser or an amplifier as opposed to needing to be a number one or number two guy. Uh, he's somebody that can, that can make an impact. But, you know, 
DeMarcus Cousins is coming off of, you know, a series of, of massive injuries that effectively, I mean, it seemed like it was going to end his career. Um, you know, the, uh, the, there are guys uh, sort of up and down these rosters where we're seeing, tra- and, and also Cousins is, a, is still a, a like liability. You saw that the other night. I mean, yes, he put up 15 points and was a, was a massive contributor in that, in, in the offensive, uh, on the offensive end for them. But Phoenix went at him in pick and roll every time they got a chance to, and they were getting buckets almost every time they got a chance to. So it's about, it's not just can you find the talent, I and mean, that's, that's hugely important, but it's also can you put the talent in position to succeed and also, are you, can you be able, can you are you willing to and are you able to live with sort of the uh, the bruises in that apple? Can you can you make it through the warts and live with those to be able to get you know uh, maximize what you can get out of them? And so the Clippers are able, or have, you know, have been able to do that because you know Paul George is standing on his head at this point because you know and earlier rounds so they had Kawhi Leonard. You know when you when you've got the sort of number you know number one or number two like the 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 the, the big marquee players to contribute in that way, it gives sort of more space and more freedom for the other guys to, to sort of get in where they fit in and contribute in smaller roles, or again, you know, playing up against somebody's fourth or fifth best defender, or only against second unit lineups, so on and so forth. So um, for the Jazz, what that means is you need Donovan Mitchell to be great. You need Donovan Mitchell to be great every night. And he, I mean, that, I think that's one thing you don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater here. Donovan Mitchell was tremendous in this postseason, and I mean, I'm somebody who has been uh, skeptical to to some degree about whether or not a guy, you know, 6'1 or 6'2 can be your all-time creator, that can be the guy who is going to be going uh, head-to-head with these big wings who can sort of, you know, are somewhat more matchup dependent or matchup proof rather. Um, and Donovan Mitchell was, you know, on fire. He was incredible um, before he picked up that knock. And so I think you, you, you come out of it feeling better about his capacity to be the guy who carries the offense and makes things easier for everybody else. But uh, you still, you know, you're still going to need more of those players who can match up on the wing, and you're still going to need more players who can contribute on both ends to, to fit in around him and Rudy. What'd you make of the Dennis Lindsay situation? I'll be honest with you. I don't really. I'm not sure what to make of it. Um, you know, Dennis Lindsay's. I think was the only 51, 52 years old. So it's not like this is him saying I'm walking off into the sunset necessarily. Um, you wouldn't be surprised to see him, especially with the track record that he built up in Utah of uh, developing that core and you know building a perennial contender there. Uh, the, you know, the, the sort of from the midstream rebuild with after losing Gordon Hayward for nothing is is you know that's the kind of thing that mid-market teams or smaller market teams just aren't supposed to be able to do. So um, I was a little surprised to see him go. But also, I mean, I think maybe the, the, the underspoken part in some of these things is that these are incredibly high-pressure jobs, and if you're doing them for a long time in one setting, maybe that just sort of grinds you down. Um, and so maybe there's part of it where it's just, you know, this is uh, an opportunity for a reset for him, or and, you know, maybe the Jazz are looking at it and saying, we think, uh, to, to the point that we've sort of been discussing, the theory of our team changed, and we had we, we made a different sort of uh, stylistic calculation in terms of how we want to build out our roster and what kind of team we want to be. And then for that to hit into a ceiling or to feel like it hit into a ceiling also, maybe there was a calculation of we might need to have a different uh, approach to what the theory is going to be moving forward, and so well, you know, we'll see. 
sometimes change can be good. It can uh, you know elevate new voices. It can bring in new ideas. Uh, it can you know wind up creating sort of a different way of looking at things. And sometimes you know you you wind up uh, you know you know looking back for and you know wishing for a little bit more of what you have. But I, I think the the the, re, the remaining brain trust. I think you still feel, feel very confident in the work that those you know those uh, those guys have done. Uh, and you know it'll be interesting to see where you know if Lindsay's name starts coming up as as job openings you know around the league uh, pick up you know this. Even at this summer, I'm not sure how many front office changes you're going to see, but you know, moving on down the line. There are plenty of Jazz fans who believe they just missed the best chance ever to win a championship. Uh, a lot of that's based on all the injuries around the league. But how good do you see the Jazz being going forward? How good can they be next year? I mean, I don't see any reason to think that they can't continue to be in that uh, upper echelon of the West. I think... The, the 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 sort of the general underpinnings of what they are at least as a regular you know again as a regular season team you know the the ability to have a consistently good defense you know as long as you've got Rudy Gobert in the middle and, and healthy and available you're going to have a top tier defense um, I think you again you come out of this postseason feeling really good about what an offense led by Donovan Mitchell can be especially as he continues to expand his range, expand you know, the volume and the ability that he has to pull off the dribble, uh, and all that can open up for him and for, for his teammates. Uh, you bring back, I'm assuming you bring back Conley, and you, know, they're, they're the, there's a, you have the core of a you know, top five-ish team on both ends of the court coming back. So I think if that's true, and you are, you know, uh, we have no idea what injuries are going to look like, uh, I mean, we're also going to be coming off another shortened off season uh, for a lot of teams, too. So, you know, with the last year we saw that uh, wreak havoc on the teams that made it deep into the bubble. Who knows if it's going to be a similar story for the teams that made it deep into the, into the, the, the playoffs this year as well. But uh, I think you, as, as long as you have those sort of baseline fundamentals, you feel pretty good about what they can be as a regular season team. And if that's true, and you're talking about a team that's going to, you know, be in the mix for home court advantage in the playoffs, like that's a, a starting point that I think more, you know, at least more than half the league would feel pretty good about. Um, but I think that, there, I mean, there are big questions. There's big questions about, uh, you know, what they look like if they have to walk into a series against teams that have two, another, you know, more series against teams that have like two or three of those kind of top-end guys, especially the ones that are big-wing creators or that are two-way, more, more complete two-way answers than uh, Donovan or Rudy can be, because given the nature of their games. So... Um, it's not a satisfying answer, but I, I mean, I think where we come out, I don't know that I come out of it a whole lot different than I went into it with the Jazz, where I was like, that's clearly an excellent team that, has a, that can beat you in a couple of different ways. But there are, it, it's, it's not laden with two-way guys who can sort of solve any problem on the fly. You need to find more of those guys in whatever capacities you can find them, whether it's through the draft, whether it's through the sort of bargain basement signings, whether it's getting lucky with development, that kind of thing. So, uh, I mean, I think the, 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 they're going to be as long as you've got Donovan and Rudy, I think you're in the mix. I think you're in the mix for a uh, home court seed. Um, and then it's about where the bounces and the breaks go from there. Some talk around the Blazers and Damian Lillard. You think there's a possibility some action could happen there? Uh, I mean, I would. I honestly would. I would be surprised if he. If this is him, he's gone this summer. This feels more like, and this would be you know based on this is pure speculation, but it feels to me more like okay, I'm now not 
very happy with the way things are, are have been running. I, I, I've, been, I've given nothing but my commitment to this organization. I've played at an MVP level year after year. Uh, you know, been sort of the, the clutch answer that allows us to outperform our underlying metrics and all that stuff and keeps us in the mix. And I don't know that I feel like we are making the best choices as an organization in terms of how to surround me with a bit with talent and, uh, you know, put us in the best position to succeed. So I'm going to start shaking the table a little bit. But that's that I that to me reads in terms of like the steps that this goes in, like make things better for me here rather than get me out of here to something better. That's, I mean, just my read on it from 3,000 miles away. I have no, I, I don't know, but I will say that the more, the messier it gets in Portland, first with Neil Shea uh, firing Terry Stotts and then going out and giving a press conference where he was saying, like, the roster is not the problem, essentially absolving himself of any blame in the situation and saying, I put together a, a championship caliber roster. It's on somebody. We've got to find somebody else that can make it so. And then following that up with a coaching search that turned pretty toxic pretty fast, uh, where Blazers fans had a real... Uh, you know, many Blazers fans had a real reaction, a real negative reaction to the idea of hiring Jason Kidd or Chauncey Billups uh, as the head coach for, you know, their, their legal issues with respect to domestic violence or rape cases in the past. That became something that was a huge deal and obviously uh, was not responded to very well by Portland in their introductory press conference yesterday where they were not going to give any more information about why, what made, made them comfortable about Chauncey Billups being there, not even answering follow-up questions from reporters about uh, what Chauncey Billups learned from that experience, all those sorts of things, it feels like the, the, the way things are working in Portland is, is trending downward and maybe is not a working environment that if I was a superstar player, I might want to continue to stick around in. So if that keeps getting messier and worse, things could pick up with Dame. But I think my guess for right now is that it's make things better here. And then if that does not happen over the course of this, you know, this next season, uh, then, it's, you know, then it maybe becomes I want something better somewhere else. He signed for four more years, so I could see where for two years he doesn't have that much leverage to force him to trade. But boy, in two years, the pendulum is swinging big time. Yeah, I mean, I, I, and uh, the the thing that happens now, we're seeing it more and like, earlier and earlier with stars, right? You know, it's four years. Four years is, is an awfully big pill to swallow. But you know, we've seen stars force their way out with, with two years left. Um, you know, could it? And once that's happening, you know, is it insane to think that it could be three years? It, it, it's it's um, generally speaking, the rule has been. If a star on this level, not just like a guy who's a nice player, but a guy who is an all-NBA first and second team kind of rainmaker, an MVP candidate kind of player, if that guy wants something to happen, it's probably going to happen. So the question then becomes, at what point does Damian Lillard say, I want something to happen, or I want this particular thing to happen? And I think that the reporting to this point leaves us short of that. But I think it also leads us a lot closer to that than we've been at any point during his tenure as a Blazer. And I think that has to be uh, you know, fans in Portland and uh, the remaining power brokers in the Blazers organization feel, feel a little bit skittish. Dan Devine, NBA writer for The Ringer, joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Thanks, Dan. My pleasure, guys. Take care. There's Dan Devine from The Ringer talking jazz and NBA with us. When we come back, what is trending, all the headlines. Stay with us.